Welcome everybody, I'm Jared, he's DJ, and this is Number One Bullshit. I was so like nervous last night because, uh, you know, son being sick, uh, he was waking up, he woke up a couple times, and so I had to pause it and then catch up, and one of them happened early in the main card, and as we were getting into the fifth round of Shevchenko Grasso, I was like, oh, God, please don't wake up. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, please, please don't if wake up. If, if there's any time that you can just sleep for five more minutes, make Yeah, like, I don't know if I'm going to be a good father. Yeah. Like, I, I might let you cry it out until <laughs> yeah, this round five over. minutes. Was, um, <laughs> well, sorry to hear that about your son, but talking about that Shevchenko okay. fight, man, like, what a, what a, I, I, I don't remember if it was Dom or uh, DC that says if we watch this fight, you know, a hundred times, it's going to probably play out this way. Um, mm-hmm. But hopefully, if we watch it a hundred times, this is the one time that we have that fifth round scorecard. Terrible. Yeah. Well, and the wild thing is, it was such a close fight that anytime there's a draw, it does feel unsatisfying. Even though I think realistically, we could all say there should be more draws. Where it's just like, hey, I, I have no clue. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's hard to say. Uh, but the as you alluded to, the method in which it happened was so unsatisfying. Of because that was an in-the-moment decision, right? Every other round had been scored, and you're watching that fifth round, and you're saying 10-8 for Grasso. There's people out there, former UFC champions like Michael Bisping, and just because you're a former high-level fighter doesn't mean you're a good judge or anything like that. Yep. But he's giving the round to Shevchenko. And I, we were texting about it last night. You know, I, I think there's an argument for that. Just because of the damage that was done on the feet, then... She does make a mistake. She goes for the kind of, you know, head head and arm throw that is so prevalent in women's MMA and tends to not work a ton in men's MMA. And we saw what happens last night. It, generally, that's how it plays out in men's MMA. But like that's an error on her part. Yep. Again. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, gives up the back. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I'm I'm still amazed Grasso didn't try to get to the back more, but also in the way that the fight played out, the opportunities weren't there. Yep. But Gives up the back again and then defends submission attempts. And one was close, right? The the rear naked choke at one point did look close, yeah. but that was it. There was no damage done. I mean, if you're going to give a 10-8 round, why not when Grasso actually dropped Shevchenko? Like, let's just go full boxing. Oh, she dropped her. Let's give it a 10-8. Because it, I just don't understand, especially with the criteria, number one criteria being damage. Like Shevchenko did more damage to Grasso in the fifth round than vice versa. Now, I'm not saying that Shevchenko automatically won that round. Like, granted, Grasso could have won it, but still, 10-8 is fucking insane. Well, and also, if we're going to go off of what it was a minute 49 left in the round where she got her, where she, you know, made a mistake and she capitalized. Mm -hmm. But okay, if we're going to go on the 10-8 criteria was that she had her in danger. I mean, Shevchenko earlier in the fight had her in the deepest guillotine of all times and thought maybe she's going to choke her out. And that wasn't a 10-8. I do not understand. I don't want to be this guy because boxing does this a lot. But I think Shevchenko has every right to feel like um, this was a little bit suspect. Because when you and I called each other after the fight and we're sitting there thinking like, hold on. Where was the 10-8 or where was the drawed out round? If you're having those questions and then you find out the fifth round is a 10-8 for one judge's scorecard, Mike Bell has to be questioned i mean has to be questioned what did you see for three minutes of stand-up and 
Shevchenko won stand up in that fifth round. Mm-hmm. What did yeah, you the jab, see? Got, jab was nasty. Yeah. What did you see? She didn't open her up. She didn't. I mean, she had her in danger, but then realistically, it felt like if she's going to end the round, she's going to finish the round, right? I, actually, if that judge would have just gave it to Grasso, I would have no complaints at all. If it was 10-9, yeah. I'd be like, fuck it. That's not what happened. You gave her a 10-8, no. and it drawed out the fight for her to keep her belt on a night where it seems like you want her to keep her belt. I don't know if I buy into that wholeheartedly, but, oh, man, 10-8 is the wildest. And then... You brought it up. You, uh, I don't remember the stat. What eight, eight, ten, eight rounds? Yeah, there was eight, ten, eight rounds given out on the card, and and Mike Bell gave out five of them. Yeah, and, I mean, yeah. And and let's say uh, the first fight. Uh, I don't. I don't want to jump too far, but yeah, maybe, it's all good. The Josephine Knutson versus yeah. the sawed off Savage. I can at least see one of those rounds being a ten eight, maybe two. He gave all three. <laughs> he gave all yeah. three. Okay, uh, the, fine. Ten eight. This is if this is a ten eight, then. Everybody I've ever watched has 10-8 rounds. I mean, every yeah. fight I've ever watched. If that's the criteria for 10-8, we're going to get some really fucking wildly scored fights moving forward because that I just don't understand. I hope he has to go in front of the commission just to verify, right? It's like if at least explain on the record what the thought process was of how he made the conclusion that that is a 10-8 under what criteria why is that a 10-8? Because it just, I mean, I'm curious. I want to know. And and who knows? He might have some justification where it's like, eh, I could see it that way. I don't believe so. There's no way. But like, I, I would like to hear him out. But even though his name's attached to it, which at least with judging, they make their names be attached to it. Yes. So, you know, but like the, there needs to be some accountability there. And, and that's, it's frustrating because it takes away from the talk of, I mean, this was an all-time great fight. Like, this was an amazing title fight. It was free. You had hip free. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. For y'all that don't know, Andy Dick Show, check it out. Uh, but that, yeah, it was an amazing, amazing fight. And now from one judge, the whole narrative of what people are talking about is is different. It feels so unsatisfying for that to be the outcome, even though realistically a draw is not a bad outcome in that fight mm. because it's hard to really say who won. But ultimately, the method in which it happened makes it makes it about the judge and not about one of the best fights we've seen. Definitely one of the best women's fights we've we've ever seen. Like that one, to me, it's not quite Whaley Yoana won yeah. because that that's a, a all time fight. Yeah. yeah, but it's up there. Like, for sure, it is up there to see Shevchenko. I know she got hurt in their first fight, but to see her get dropped was wild, you know, and just the the improvements Grosso made, I thought, were were very, very good. You know, she uh, immediately came out kind of not in the uh, southpaw to southpaw, right? She came out in the orthodox to try to take away that jab and and kept kind of getting into Southpaw to see if Shevchenko would fire out the jab, and she was. Great adjustment by Shevchenko. Mm -hmm. It was almost a Fury Wilder moment where late in the fight, the first fight, Shevchenko realized, okay, Southpaw to Southpaw, my jab's there, and and she started connecting on it in the fourth round of their first fight. Correct. And so 
for her to then be like, all right, that's adjustment number one. I got to do anytime she's southpaw, fire out the jab. Like it was such a great fight, such a great performance from these two women to have it marred with that card is frustrating. Well, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the judge. And that mm-hmm. sucks because, yeah, realistically, first round started popping off the jab, got the good liver kick, whatever. I think clear Shevchenko. Second round, you get dropped. And Shevchenko, she got dropped, and she came to her wits real quick, and she got kind of a barrage. But then after that, she was in – I mean, she came back so fast, right? I think Mm -hmm. she even got her down on the ground toward the end of the round. Um, Third round is where we saw maybe she stops her. You know, maybe she actually gets her submission back. Fourth Mm -hmm. round, I gave it to Shevchenko. One of the judges gave it to Grasso, whatever. That's the pivotal round in my mind. And and, – and that's why I think that if the fifth round would have just been a 10-9 across the board and then Shevchenko wins or Grasso wins, we're cool. And what we're talking about is, nah, because we're about to talk about another fight that could have gone either way, which is JDM <laughs> Kevin Holland. This fight could have gone any other way. It just felt like in the fourth round, all those jabs started building up on Grasso and she started feeling them, <laughs> right? Her neck wasn't as strong. Yeah. When she got popped, it was because Grasso just seems stronger. She just seems like a stronger yeah. woman. Um, she seems like it hits harder, has strength, but... I think um, I think w- with times like the and let's give it up for the the referees this week. We didn't have to talk shit about the referees, and then we have to talk about a judge. Oh yeah, there was yeah. one okay. one ref yeah. for sure. We'll talk about that one. Mm-hmm. But in the pivotal moments of like high level fighting, Herb Dean did what he had to do, right? And and he did a great job with the knees that with Grasso throwing those knees 100%. to Shevchenko's head because those used to be illegal. Mm-hmm. And in some states, they still are. Some states, you still can't do that. And so the it was a great job by Herb Dean to be in control yep. because Shevchenko was like, hey, she can't do that. You know, she was appealing to Herb Dean. And I feel like lesser referees, you know, maybe some of the ones that when you have some of these regional cards that are, you know, don't always get main card fights, but are doing some of the prelims would be like, Oh shit, Shevchenko's talking to me. She thinks it's illegal time. You know, and and Herb Dean was like, "No, it's legal." Yep. And it was I think that had an had a, an impact in that round. You could see kind of it took Shevchenko a little bit of time to recover from those. Those were hard shots. Uh but overall just an amazing fight and I think if we're looking at any kind of positive outcome from this, uh from a, a fight that definitely leaves a sour taste in our mouth is 100% run it back. You know, I, I do think you, when you run it back after a draw, you do get into the territory of, well, if Shevchenko wins a close fight next, do you have to do the quadrilogy? Yeah. And and so it is risky. But then I think this gives us time, like, all right, Blanchfield, Fior, number one contender fight. I, I can see that running it back for those reasons where it's like, you know, you give a clear number one contender. But the problem is, is what if it's another close fight and Shevchenko yeah. just scrapes by and then Agrasso goes, yeah. well, Technically, I've won two. I mean, a draw is not a win, but it's not mm-hmm. a loss. And then you have to have a fourth. Yeah. I don't know of immediate run it back because, I mean, it just feels like then you're just going to stale out the division even more. Yeah. But with the lead up to this fight, we had three specific matchups that we were like, are any of these women going to make a statement? And none of them really did. And then this is the biggest statement where, well, it's going to be interesting to see what like, because when they were about to announce the thing, uh, Bruce Buffer the result, Bruce Buffer looked at Sean Shelby and Sean, Sean Shelby goes, what? And I was like, is this about to, in my mind, I was like, is this a draw? You know, because why, why would he care if one of the women won? But like his reaction was like, what's going on? So if the UFC looks at it as a, 
referee corruption type of deal because your brother said it best is this is mike bell on the take you know it's what it <laughs> yeah, feels right. like um launch the investigation for sure if if they don't feel that way then there's not going to be a rematch immediate if they do feel that way i don't know it, it, it's hard because you just put a championship fight on a free card so now you yeah. run it back and would put it on a pay-per-view now i don't i don't know i know what you do yeah, and full tinfoil hat moment. Was my man giving out easy 10-8s early on to set the stage to be able to justify a 10-8 in the championship fight? I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Last thing about this fight, and it's kind of more a, a statement on the division. Y'all know how much I love women's flyweight. The this the fact that we were speaking about, you know, one of these women needs to make a statement, and the fact that none of them could. I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. I think it actually speaks to the strength of the division of how well matched up the top of the division is, right? Because I think at this point, Grosso, Tyler Santos, uh, Fior, Shevchenko, uh, you could throw in, did I say Blanchfield yet? Um, you could throw in Thug Rose because like ultimately that was a pretty good performance on a completely jacked up hand. Yeah. Uh, there's just, like there's, it's no longer the champ and everybody else there is a good amount of people that have shown like they are right there so ultimately exciting for the division we'll see how this plays out and and if they do kind of hold up the division or if they move on yep. uh, but either way great division exciting and speaking of exciting great divisions uh and with welterweight that della Maddalena kevin holland fight the fact that the the fans were booing i mean like hey you're spoiled from a great night of fights because yeah, that sure. i thought was such an amazing fight. And it was one of those fights where even though there wasn't, you can't even say there wasn't a ton playing out because they threw hundreds of strikes, each yeah. of them. Uh, but like the anticipation during the fight where it's like, oh, at any moment during any of these exchanges, it could be the one shot that changes the the whole face of the fight. Uh, but that's a hard one. I think ultimately it came down to the how you score the first round. Yeah. And, and honestly, I thought Kevin Holland was going to be shine a little bit more mm -hmm. della della i'm just gonna say della because yep jdm he um he really showed that like he belongs i know he's got this crazy streak you know and, mm -hmm. and we, we can't doubt him but this was a huge jump up and especially with a guy that you know is explosive is exciting um jdm did what he had to do he was more accurate uh he just seemed to follow up with combos a little bit better uh mm -hmm. and he made he made kevin holland miss a lot I think it's a well-deserved win, and but now when you go from here, I mean, you know, if if you don't give him Sean Shelby, you give him he's top ten caliber right now. Sean, Sean Brady, Sean I think Brady, he beat yeah. the shit <laughs> out of Sean Shelby. <laughs> Maybe you don't know. Uh, my <laughs> yeah, bad, Sean, Sean Brady. Um, I think he's fighting in top ten now. Just it's like just go ahead and throw him up there because uh, he's he seems game to fight. That it was a great fight. I thought it was going to be a little bit more decisive on either end, but. Mm -hmm super close match and this is another thing like i'm not upset about a close fight that can go either way it's just this didn't have a shitty scorecard attached to it you know yeah well and della madalena he's so good defensively like he's and you see it with all great strikers and yes i'm saying he's a great striker the distance distance management and being in control of where the fight is taking place his ability to, because Kevin Holland has a reach that's unbelievable, especially Crazy. at welterweight, Crazy. right? I think it's eighty-one inches. So what is that? Six foot, six foot nine. Yeah, like insane. that's an insane reach at one hundred seventy pounds, and his ability to not get touched often. Now you know he did. I think eat one or two clean. Yeah, 
but to be just right out of range after exchanging. And then when he was in the pocket, very much shelled up, he was in the pocket on his terms, right? Like he would get in there, fire combos and then get out. And when he did stay in for extended periods of time, it didn't feel like there was a threat at that point. Mm. Now, granted, some of the clinches with the elbows was, were, if you're a JDM fan, a little scary, right? But that his defensive responsibility of protecting himself and really not getting hit a ton uh, was, to me, one of the most impressive parts of the fight. Like, it just, at no point did I feel like Kevin Holland was dictating the fight. Now, granted, he was landing. The sidekicks were really good. Round two, he had a couple, uh, you know, good straights just right down the pipe that that landed well. But ultimately, it felt like JDM was leading the dance. And not to say that Kevin Holland got dominated like he could have ended it at any point, but it felt like the fight was taking place on Jack Della's terms. Especially as it went through. You're right. I mean, the first round is determined. Um, it just seems like JDM... He was. He seemed more efficient, and it felt that way, right? It felt like Kevin Holland was missing more, was getting blocked, uh, even though his volume was high. It's just like it felt when the fight was over. I was like, it just feels like JDM wins. Um, but once again, I, I think that if two of the judges would have gave ten a first round to um, Kevin Holland, I wouldn't have been upset. But it just felt like sometimes you just like, okay, well, how does it feel? And it feels like JDM won this matchup. So great, great for him. Felt like 10-8, round three. <laughs> well, 10-7, no. really, but whatever. I'm not a rough <laughs> and, judge for a reason. And, like, moving forward, I don't think this is a a huge knock on Kevin Holland. No. Right, because no. uh, it was a very close fight, and he's standing with a guy who's probably the best boxer at 170, mm-hmm. you know, and so there's nothing to be ashamed of. I, and I think you keep giving Kevin Holland big fights because he's shown he... One, all the outside of the cage stuff, great, good on the mic, you know, has the personality uh, in the cage, has the personality yep. too. Uh, but then, like, you don't really see him in danger a ton. He's in good fights. He can get it done on the ground. He can get it done standing. So I, I don't think this is a bad thing for Holland. All of a sudden, he needs to move back up to 185. Uh, and I lost the bet. We were texting about who was going to take the first shot. And surprisingly, it was Holland. I thought JDM was going to get tagged and, like, Go into survival mode, but no, Kevin and, Holland shot. And when you asked that, that's what I was thinking too. I was like, I just feel like Kevin Holland is going to catch a shot. But like speaking of Kevin Holland's future, he's he's so I think the UFC loves him. I think the UFC behind the scenes loves him. So they're they're not gonna uh and, and hopefully he doesn't want to go to one eighty five over this, but yeah. they love him. You can tell that he's got support from the UFC and he deserves it. I mean, that dude fought five times in a year. That's stupid. It's so dumb. Yeah. Um, the worst we've seen him is against Hamzat. That's the worst we've yeah. seen him, right? Where Which, it's like Hamzat, other than Gilbert, makes everyone look their worst. Yeah, so it's like, you know, good for good for JDM. And unfortunately for JDM, this doesn't stop someone else's career. It's like, well, Kevin Holland's still going to be right beside you because his yeah. personality, everything that he brings. So, yeah, great welterweight fight. But real excited to see JDM fight some, some, some higher competition now because he's already... Yeah. Yeah, I think, and like, granted, he didn't answer the question that came up from the the Basel twins Basel <laughs> fight uh, because there was no grappling, you know. But I think he proved he belongs in that top ten range. Uh, 
I'm curious as to what they do. Do they give him like a Vicente Luque, you know, somebody who's just a little bit older, uh, kind of a name for him to to build off of? Do they give him, do they rebook Sean Brady, uh, not Sean Shelby, to <laughs> test that to test that grappling? Or uh, one that would be a lot of fun, but I don't think we'll see it until a little further down the line. Uh, him versus Ian Machado Gary would yeah. be a ton of fun. I feel like they put those two guys, they they make them meet up further in their careers because it's like, yeah. what's the point? And I really liked Anik. I've never heard that before, uh, but Three Name Jack, I just liked it. I was like, I'm going to call mm, him. I, I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't he was hear like that. An old Three Name Jack. I was like, you know what? I'm going to say that because I can't say his last name because I don't speak <laughs> of the English very well. Well, and when he was on the Australian regional scene, they just called him Jack Della. Like yeah. that was like on the bottom of the screen. It just said Della. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then another just amazing performance. Roman Kopilov is and Chase Hooper had had a couple really great tweets like Dude. right right before the fight. He's like, all right, boys, be back in a couple minutes. <laughs> uh, which, hilarious. Um, and then after the fight was like, I'm he's no longer the Russian Chase Hooper. I'm the American Roman Kopilov. Dude um, is nasty, man. He's an animal the the picture of him after the fight was kind of like a smile on his face and just the blood splattered all over him like oh you're a terrifying human like you are very scary um by the end of the fight everything hurt him right liver shot like the kicks that he was blocking to the head the punch i mean absolutely everything was hurting fremd i mean well, I know you hate body shots. I know you're like you you really yeah, not hate my those. Thing. So I know this wasn't your favorite fight. No, dude, yeah. that body shot is just I don't want to know what it feels like to just have my body no. shut down. But he's no. he's dangerous. And then for some reason, I just forget how like big he is. Like he's just big. When he stands next to Daniel Corwin, he's just like he's a big guy. No. And but Fre- Fremd looked huge compared to him, I thought. But Fremd that's, why, that's why I forget how big he is because I was like, yeah. God, then he looks small tonight, you know? It's like maybe Chase Hooper did take his spot, but he is dangerous. This dude is fucking dangerous, dude. I'm so excited to see his next fight already. Oh, yeah. He breaks people. Yeah. Like, he breaks people down. When you look at it, he's not finishing it in the first round. Yeah. Right? We talked about it last week. It is systematically breaking people down. Like, here, you saw it, right? Did try to go full uh, I think was it Masvidal the the straight running kick to the ouch pouch <laughs> like <laughs> not cool butters yeah not cool at all butters like first thing you do you you hit him in round one and uh, Kapalov was like okay you know we can we can fight through that one and then the second one was like yeah boom like, <laughs> like, hey, just, man, not cool bro <laughs> yeah running jump kick to the dick not uh, not great I mean, not but great if I'm, getting, if I'm in front of Kapalov I might have to do that too to take a little break because it's like dude you're just beating me up dude yeah but and here's the the second judging or refing thing that was a little off how do you not take point um right you had the the first one okay i get it incidental and then the second one he might have meant to, to jump kick him in the dick to get him off of him like you know, maybe I'm, I'm not gonna uh assume frem's intentions uh, but ultimately it comes down to being in control of your weapons yeah. right and so that was reckless like you recklessly jump kick that man in the ouch pouch yeah, which, right which, like if that was which, not intentional it was just reckless i can't blame him for being reckless because it's like <laughs> i just gotta do anything i yeah I, I was i was real interested in when it was happening like is he gonna get a point taken off but i didn't feel like there was any consequence to it because it just felt like the referee's like man i'm not gonna 
give you freaking well i mean mike <laughs> bell you know it would have been a 10-6 round if that's the case you know? yeah um yeah, I don't you're, like know you're how, getting your ass kicked. I'm not going <laughs> to take a point from you. Yeah, I don't know how you do, but man, my man is a fucking problem, dude. He's a real yes. problem in this division, and and like mm-hmm. the 185 division now with titles changing hands, it's like these guys are finally getting that point where it's like Israel's not on top. So if you get up yeah. there, you're going to have to fight in Israel if you can't get the belt back. This division's getting super exciting. Well, and let's not forget Kapilov after he had kicked Claudio Hibera into another dimension, uh, <laughs> called out Sean Strickland. I know. He's like, I want to fight the American gangster. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, and Joe Rogan shut that down very quickly. Um, but I saw a lot of calls on the the interwebs last night uh, to like give this guy a top 15. For some reason, Chris Curtis became like the trendy name that everyone was saying he should fight. Yeah. Granted, I'll watch Chris Curtis do the man dance with anybody. Yeah. Uh, but... Like, ultimately, let's look at who Kapilov has beat so far. And he's looked phenomenal, but he's not. I don't think he's he might be top 15 come come Tuesday, but I don't think he needs to be fighting those guys yet. And I get he's on a nice streak, four finishes in a row. uh, But I do think there's other interesting fights outside of the top 15 that that he could be a part of, uh, because ultimately, like, what do you do if you put him in the top 15 and then? he loses to Chris Curtis right away. Like, is, is this a guy now that we don't, I, I think you continue to build him, you know, maybe you put him on a main event of a fight night or, I mean, shit, he was buried in the prelims, right? I like let, let's, let's be real about that too. Even though this, and they kept saying it was a pay-per-view atmosphere and we did have a title fight. Like ultimately he was on the prelims, not even the <laughs> featured prelim of a free card, you know? So like, let's pump the brakes a little bit. Maybe we get him on the main card of a pay-per-view. Maybe we, you know, put him on a co-main or a main on a fight night. Uh, but I think there's some absolutely phenomenal fights out there for him. I think if you put him in there with uh, Michael Oli and Jay check, like that's fireworks. That's going to be a great, great fight. Put him in there with RoboCop. Like that's another one. Um, you know, Robocop. I, I don't see Kapilov taking flat elbows to the back of the skull from, from Robocop. Yeah. Uh, or, or like if you want to test Kapilov, his grappling, like let's put him in there with the Iron Turtle. You know, like that's another one. Iron Ooh. Turtle's on a, I think, a three or four fight win streak. I, I, I want to say they're all finishes with submissions. Mm-hmm. So like let's match them up. There's some really intriguing fights, I think, for him outside of the top 15 where we don't need to rush him, especially with what happened at the top of the division with Strickland getting the title, because there's all kinds of fresh matchups there now. You can give Kapilov another year, you know, two, three fights to to start to build towards that as opposed to like, hey, let's see if we can get him where his next fight would launch him into the top 10. I don't think we need to Yeah, and, and with the hype that he has, it's almost a Bo Nickel hype where it's like we feel like they probably can fight in the top 15, right? Let's just what, what you feel like. You feel like they can compete. But these three people, if you haven't fight any of these three people and then his next fight is the top 15, I totally agree with you. I am, I have, I think you have really convinced me on the slowing down of like people jumping to that next level. And I don't mind seeing it anymore. I think some of it's like how many fights you really have inside of you. You know, it's like if you want to do it, get to the top. But you've really made me even think like, yeah, it's not a problem for these people that are like being hyper successful outside of the top 15 to just ease their way in, dip their toe in. Because once they're there, it's problems for them forever. You know, like even even in the worst division, in the UFC, the top 15 is problems for that division 
So yeah, give him one of these people. And if he goes out, if he goes out and just stomps Iron Turtle and just like it looks like the same guy, okay, give him Chris Curtis, give him Paul Craig, yeah. give him somebody. Um, so I agree with you one hundred percent. But just give him somebody if he wants to fight. You give him a fucking fight. Hell yeah! And it's one of the things that I do think boxing does well. Now I I the execution of it I'm not a fan of, but they as they're building their guys up, it's like all right, let's have him fight a southpaw. Yep. Like all right, let's have him fight. You know, fight somebody who's grimy, dirty. Like let's pass those tests before we have to pass those tests on the biggest stage. Now with the UFC, you're on the biggest stage, but like let's allow a guy to pass some of those tests before like you get into the top 15 and then you lose it's a long road back yeah well and the reason why you don't just have the top 15 of every division you have other people so you can fight these killers that are supposed to be the best in the world and make your way up and it's different than you know like like you're saying like let's fight a southpaw okay when you're training against a southpaw it's different than fighting someone that's actually trying to kill you that's someone that's not your training partner so i mean super impressed with him can't wait to see him fight again. Don't need to see a fight of 15. But if he, let's say he signed the dotted line against Chris Curtis, how excited are you really to see what this man can do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, oh, I would be about as excited as our listeners should be as they go over and hit that follow, like, subscribe button uh, to make sure they are getting the F updates as y'all, you know, I say it every week, but as y'all have seen, uh, life does get in the way sometimes and those F updates can be uh, drop at varied times, you know, 10 o'clock at night, if it's an earlier weigh-in, 6 o'clock, so uh, follow so you'll be notified of that and then also go over to X Twitter, uh, if you're not for change and you're still grasping to the bird, uh, and at number one BS pod. So that way you can uh, see our fight picks. Uh, you can see which yeah boy got. Um, Congratulations. Fight picks. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, the featured prelim poll and then uh, also the amazing live tweets during the fights. And then from one fight that could have been the featured prelim to another fight that could have been the featured prelim, uh, the return of Tracy Cortez uh, versus Jazzy, uh, Jasmine, Jazz Davisius. Great fight. Really, really good fight. I think it was more competitive than they made it sound. Uh, I think that Cortez's striking was so much improved that that was kind of the story of like, oh my God, look at her boxing. But I think there was definitely times where Jazz Davisius made it dirty and, you know, you could argue had won some of those rounds. Like when you looked at Tracy Cortez after the fight, yep. especially when she got to the post-fight press conference where there was time for the swelling to go, like she was beat up. Yeah, I, I don't, feel i have no problem with two of the judges giving her 30 like giving her all three rounds mm-hmm. um but i i did think that uh jazz davisius did get that uh, i believe the second round but mm-hmm. look it just seems like tracy cortez has that dog in her i mean honestly she's kind of been off our radar since you know and you don't know what she's going to come back to but i think we made a comment about it last week it's like sometimes when you have that break you know those 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 shots to your head aren't going to be as damaging and mm-hmm. she seemed like she had a little extra motivation, you know, super emotional about the yeah. return, super emotional about Cejudo's sister passing away. Um, and she came out and she said, look, I'm still here. You know, like I'm, I'm not just a social media presence. I'm a fucking fighter. And now, okay. now Tracy Cortez's name puts her in a position that she's going to get those big fights now. Yeah. And, and getting, getting better, right? Like yeah. she, 
for how long she was out, they did make a comment on the broadcast that basically she said she only really couldn't train how she wanted to train for three months. Okay. So despite being out that whole time, and apparently there were some injuries, they mentioned like a hand, and I forget what the other one that they mentioned was, but she did, she was injured. Uh, still, they didn't talk about kind of what pulled her from the fight against Amanda Hebus. That's Curious, another part of business, you know, like apparently I, now. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I know it's personal. Point. Well, but, no, I'm just saying at this point, I would love to know, but apparently it's none of our business if it hasn't came yeah. out yet. And if she was going to yeah. say it, it would probably be like, now that it's gone, I'm back. This is what happened. It's, okay. Mm-hmm. Respect her privacy. But it's fine. She looked improved, right? Because we talked about how she was very much a like grinding wrestler type fighter. She didn't shoot for a takedown until like a minute left yeah. in the fight. I mean, she was... The boxing looked really good. And one thing that Cortez has is just physically, she has a big head. Like mm-hmm. she's going to be able to absorb shots. That's just the the nature of it. And so even though size-wise, she looked undersized uh, against Jazz Divisius, and Jazz Divisius is, is a pretty big woman for that weight class, yeah. uh, I think she's going to be able to absorb some of that. And I also think that if she has that boxing and then it's like, oh, I'm hurt, I can fall back on what used to be plan a with, with the grappling like that, that's kind of a, a scary proposition for other people in the division. And that division is women's flyweight, which is one of the best in the UFC. You know, now you throw her name back in there. You could rebook the Amanda Hebus fight. You throw her name back in there with the Silva's Karine and Natalia. I'd watch either one of those, you know, King Casey O'Neill, who was in the building uh, for, for the fights. Like there's just so many intriguing matchups. If you want to try to fast track Cortez now, because obviously the pop she got mm-hmm. uh, in the in the arena, and it was like every fighter of Mexican heritage was getting a good pop. It was awesome, uh, and that was the one thing about the the Kyle Nelson uh, win that that was kind of cool to me. You know, y'all know me and the whole dad thing, uh, but him being like, "Hey, I'm I'm about to be a dad. Y'all can boo me all the one all you <laughs> yeah. want. I'm the happiest man yeah, in the world exactly. right now. Like, good on you." Yeah. Um, but yeah, like Cortez, obviously with the not to take away from her fighting, but with the social media presence as well, like that's a star that you can market. It and matters. if she's going to go out there and put on wars, like you can try to move her up the ladder relatively quickly. My guess is she won't be ready to fight for a little bit of time, not injury related or anything, but just, I mean, that was a war, right? That was a, a beating that she took in victory. So you want to give her some time, but yeah, so many intriguing matchups there. Yeah. And and we have to mention the social media presence because like it matters. It matters for Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland markets himself. It matters for Sean O'Malley. He markets himself. Um, Tracy Cortez, every UFC event gets on and does live, does betting, does, does her sponsors. It matters because if you have that presence and you win, well then, why isn't uh, why aren't you going to call for these fights? I agree with you. She she got damaged. Probably going to be out for a little bit. But I would love to see if that fires in her. It's like I lost however long was a year over a year, and I'm ready to get back in and go ahead and have her fight. You know, and make this division, make this division great again. Um, no, make this <laughs> make, make this amazing division exciting because I, I don't want to bring it back to the title fight. But there is a a a hint of disrespect to have this title fight on a free fight in the best women's division, but you give it to the UFC Noche, you give it to the moment, but this division deserves those, those title fights on pay-per-view, right? So it's like, yeah, yeah, it's so, I I don't want to harp on that too much, but there was a little, we talked about it for so like, this is on a free card. What the fuck? And it turned out to be an amazing pay-per-view esque free card, but they don't get pay-per-view money for it, you know? So, um, with, Tracy Cortez winning, 
it, it helps the division even more to a division that doesn't really need help right now. Yeah. yeah. And well, and, and just cause you, you brought up the pay-per-view side of things. One thing I didn't know I was kind of doing my research here is other than, I think it was the second Nunes fight. Shevchenko's never headlined a pay-per-view. That was the only one. Oh, wow. She, every other defense and all her other title defenses have been on pay-per-views, but it was always the co-main, which is interesting to me because skill-wise, when when she was on her run, ultimately one of the the most skilled fighters in the UFC, you know, like it was a, a dominant, dominant champion. So there's kind of when I was looking through that, I was like, huh, like I would have expected her to have headlined at least one pay-per-view. Other yeah, than I'm the, actually the surprised Nunez at fight. it. I almost have a bias like these, like the small weight division, even the men's weight division always usually has mm -hmm. like a higher one. But I'm surprised yep. just because Shevchenko, it was like Nunez Shevchenko. It was, you know, it was like, this isn't a number you know 10 in the world is like we think she's number two in the world as far as women fighters yeah that's an interesting stat yeah and because i mean like let's not forget there was talk about well if they run it run it back a third time i think shevchenko can beat nunez right yeah. like there was that talk so yeah that, that was one that that had me a little a little bit surprised and then another potential star making performance just because of the atmosphere and because of how it went down was that uh raul rosas mm. jr uh against terrence mitchell you know, Rosas is known as a as a grappler. That hook was filthy. I mean, you could see the look in Mitchell's eye when when it hit of like an oh shit. Uh, and then just the violence, the the finishing ability uh, was was pretty, pretty impressive. Now, the one thing is it doesn't answer any of the questions that that we had about Rosas just because he looked really good in the first round against against Christian Rodriguez yeah. and then gassed out and it was a bad deal for him rounds two and three. So it doesn't answer that those questions however it was a bit of a star making performance in that sense of in front of the predominant you know the the pro mexican crowd for noche ufc he goes out there and he always comes out with the sombrero but yeah, you know yeah, comes yeah. out rocking the sombrero and then you know fucks this guy up in like two minutes <laughs> you know and and like obviously has a nation behind him when you you heard the response from the crowd the walkout and then then post fight didn't answer questions i I shouldn't say that. It answered the question of how is this kid, because he's still 18 years old, how does this kid respond from you know, losing on the biggest stage, being such a hyped up prospect to to be able to have the confidence to come out and do that what was impressive. Yeah, and he looked a little wild, but he's 18. It makes me so nervous. I don't have any investment in this kid's future, like as far as like a person. It just makes me nervous. I'm like, you're so young. He looked wild. Do you think maybe the fight could have gone a little bit longer? One note that I have is like maybe a bit early. I don't I don't necessarily disagree or agree with it, but I was like maybe it felt a bit early because he f stiffened him. You know, mm -hmm. man, man was stiff, but mm -hmm. uh, but it was like mm, I could I could have I could have gotten another ten seconds to see what happens. The the thing about it was how Mitchell responded because I didn't think a lot of the strikes on the ground were hitting flush. Yeah, but when you saw Mitchell rolled and just covered up was not attempting to improve his position towards the end. And that's when the ref stepped in and, and realistically like Rosas was a big betting favorite for a reason. Yeah. You know, I, I think that that is you know, no disrespect to Mitchell at all. I've never made the walk. I'll never make the walk like no disrespect to him, but it looked like a regional fighter versus a UFC fighter. And right? I, like yeah, it, for it, sure it did. It, it felt that way. And especially for Mitchell, I think he's 32 years old. He felt like his energy was the same sporadicness as an 18-year-old. 
But what mm-hmm. a huge gap in age. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, even if you're a huge favorite, 18 years old to 32 years old is insane to me. It's just, it's just insane. So good for him. He's not really good on the mic, though. He's not really his personality. Like, for him to become that star, I think he's going to need some, like, a little little help with the push of, like, promoting himself a little bit better. But he's Yeah, young. He's young. agreed. He's 18 years yeah, old. Exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then another young Mexican fighter who I think had a bit of a star-making performance, uh, Daniel Zellhuber, in that fight against uh, Chris Oskiagos. First of all, Zellhuber is enormous. Absolutely enormous for a lightweight. The yep. guy has a six foot five inch reach. I think he's like six three or six four. He is a huge lightweight. Still looks like a kid, right? Like mm-hmm. has the baby face. I thought it was over for him in the first round. No, man. That was close, but very close. But that anaconda, whoo. I mean, he grabbed it, dude. It was fast. It was it was deep. I mean. Yeah, you tag him and then get that quick submission. It's like, well, I mean, that's dangerous. You know, that's that's a problem. Yeah, and it was such an interesting thing because typically we think like the fighter, you know, we we applaud, oh, when somebody's hurt, like plant your feet and fire back, and which is not what Zell Huber did at all. But like for him, for his style, what he did worked, right? Like, let me get away. Let me clear the cobwebs and at least get to a point where I can reset and intelligently defend myself. Like it, it's very interesting how different kind of approaches or tools work for different people. You know, it wasn't like a running away like when Brock Lesnar, you yeah. know, would get hit or or Tito Ortiz where it's like, you know, this person's a professional fighter but they do not like getting hit. Sure. It didn't look like that type of thing. It was more of a like, oh, shit, I'm rocked. I need to go <laughs> you know, go collect myself. But the tools that that Zell Huber has, and by that I don't mean skills, because obviously the skills are there, yeah. right? But the things that you can't teach, the size, right? Like that's a very unique gift for that weight class. And by the time he's older, because he's only 24 right now, he's gonna have to be a welterweight. Mm. The balance, right? His takedown defense, the balance on one leg, that was like BJ Penn-esque, you know. Uh, ability to stay on his feet, which it's crazy to think that him and BJ Penn would have been in the same weight class just from a size standpoint. Yeah. And then also that toughness, the ability to, it wasn't to plant your feet in the ground and fire back, but the ability to have your wits to know, okay, here's what I need to do to be able to continue on in this fight. Those are things that like not the boxing skill or the jujitsu skill, but just the, the innate traits that he has are very impressive and, mm-hmm. and it's a very good canvas to to build from and once again i hope that they don't try to rush him because he's he could potentially be a star you know you saw the pop for him once again but i think you you allow him to build because i think three four years down the road you have something here yeah for sure yeah i mean great performance can't wait to see him but you, you're right i mean as he as he matures He's going to have to go up and wait unless they make another weight division. They're going to, he's going to have yeah. to go up and wait. Another instance of us being proven wrong because when they announced Lupi Godinez and Elise Reed uh, as the featured pre- prelim, we were both kind of like, burr, 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 burr. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, for sure. We, we were a little confused. Uh, but I mean, star making performance for Lupi Godinez. God, I mean, you how know, strong I mean, are you, dude? <laughs> like, what in the world? How much stronger can you be? It's insane. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the oh, and want to give credit to Elise Reed because that arm cannot feel good today. No, no, like it's that the toughness she showed, 
Uh, I'm glad that people like her are in the military and defending our country. Um, but that the she had like horns from the hematomas on her mm-hmm. forehead. The uh, her reaction to when Godinez hit her that was then when she dropped her. That was not a normal reaction. Like you, you could tell it was like an oh shit that hurt. Like I've <laughs> never been hit this hard in in mm-hmm. competition and. I don't always like to say like, oh, good on this person for being tough because like usually if you're being tough, that means you're getting beat up. I mean, just be being up, honest, right. right? But man, the the switch over from the choke to the armbar transition was beautiful. But then just to be like, just tap, please just tap. I mean, at some point I was like, it's going to break, you know, just mm-hmm. tap. Shh, good for her. You know, that's why I'm not a fighter because I would have tapped. Um, and good on Herb Dean, man. Good on him for not like getting too excited. I really like... Like, I think Dominic Cruz and Daniel Cormier really highlighted, and I, I won't take away from the fight, but really just like the calm of, you know, knowing grappling makes a difference. You know, these these, these referees, Herb Dean knows grappling, but man, Godinez, and then she came out, and it's just like, all right, I'm going to just throw you on the ground, and I'm just going to, it was... I mean, manhandle. I'll know if manhandle is the correct way to say it, but she, athlete handle. There you go. She just <laughs> murdered. Uh, Lisa Reed, yeah. and, and good for her. Yeah, great, great performance. That camp's doing some special oh things. Oh my gosh! Irene right? Aldana, Alexa Grasso, now Lupe Godinez, and then Diego Lopez. Right? I mean, he's he's coaching in that camp with with Grasso's dad, and it is Im- impressive what what they're doing. Uh, it was really cool to see Lopez in in the corner, you know, and and coaching Godinez through some of the the things, coaching Grasso through some of them, you know, when, when Grasso was on her back and kind of had Shevchenko's head tied up in the fight and you could see Lopez just like, calm down. Mm-hmm. We're good. You can sit there. Uh, he, yeah, that whole camp, like that's, it's almost like a shoot to box camp just from the standpoint of like, I want to watch their fighters. It, it's not just about the, uh, you know, not, not the violence of a shoot to box, but like people fighting out of that camp, like, cool, I want to watch. Yeah, they're, they're doing something special. And these mm-hmm. these fighters are str- their strength and conditioning program must be insane because they all even like even with the Grasso fight, you just look like you are stronger. It's very, very bizarre because I've never thought that about another fighter against Shevchenko, maybe Manny mm-hmm. Nunez. And then you just this camp. Yeah, so good for their camp. Yeah, you're right. This is a camp that's fun to watch. It's not just yeah. a fighter out of a camp. You know, it's like this camp is awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, star making performance. You're right. She's mm-hmm. you know what this is her fifth fight in the UFC. Yeah, and she did like back to back fights, like back to back weeks uh, early in her career. Yeah, she's she's an animal, yeah. and it's it's fun fun to watch. And then we we do have to talk about the Chires Lacerda fight. Really, just unfortunate end to it you know the i i get what tonioni saw where he was checking the arm checking the arm and then like arm went limp like when yeah i get where it's like oh shit stop it but at that point check it again Mm -hmm. you know and and i don't know what what refs are coached up on and to his credit he went and you know talked to to chires and lacerda and was like guys i'm i'm sorry I, i messed that up but ultimately that doesn't get either one of them their win bonus nope and and it's a shame because it's one of those things. I don't know what Dom and Daniel Cormier see because for me, I see it looks like the guy goes out. That's just what I see. I'm uneducated in that. So I don't blame him. Maybe, like you said, maybe check the arm again because it was he touched his arm when his arm was up, kind of looking like, you know, like I'm here. When he dropped his arm, he just stopped it. Maybe check it mm-hmm. again. But 
I get their frustration too because they're putting themselves in that position where they mm-hmm. go, he's just trying to relax to let the guy burn out his arms. If that's true, and it seemed to be the case, it's frustrating. It's frustrating yeah. to have the fight in. And I think the nature of what they were looking at, I think the point they were making, I think you also just made, right? Like you you don't train in any yep. kind of grappling, so you don't necessarily know what you're looking at. And that that was the point they were making because based on the positioning of Chires, there wasn't anything that the air wasn't being cut off, the blood flow wasn't being cut off. And so if you're looking at it, it was almost just kind of a bit of a front headlock, mm-hmm. right? Like there wasn't any danger from the standpoint of something that could render uh, Lacerda unconscious. Yeah. Uh, the, like I said, airflow, blood, like none of that was being cut off from the posi- from the positioning. And it was almost, and I don't know if Tonyoni trains or not, but ultimately he was like so focused in on looking at Lacerda's arm. He wasn't looking at the other side from Chires of the fact that the hands weren't really grasped well. You could see space. You know, if you kind of went to the other side of the lock, you could see that there was space there. Mm. But he was like kind of so dialed into looking at Lacerda's head and his arm to to see if he was conscious. He didn't look at that other part. And I don't, once again, I don't know what he's being trained up on of like, hey, if you think somebody's in danger, that's where your focus needs to be. I don't know. But just just unfortunate to to see it play out that way i do agree that the referee if you're gonna be a referee you have to have more knowledge than a fan you have to have even if you're not like you don't have to be a fighter to be a referee but you have to be someone that knows so for me i look at it as like now let's look at the other side this guy's arm goes limp and the guy and and tonyoni that's how you say his name tonyoni looks at it and goes he's not out he's just relaxing and the guy's literally out then we have a problem because he holds the choke Mm -hmm. too long I'm not necessarily saying I blame him, but I think one of the things, and you just said it, check his arm again. Just check his arm again because it. Dominic Cruz and, and Daniel Cormier are correct. It is not up to the fighter to have to say, I'm okay, right? It shouldn't be because mm-hmm. in that moment, you might be. I mean, imagine if Volkanovsky had to say, I'm okay against Brian Ortega. That's not fair, right? That takes his mm-hmm. mind off the like surviving in that moment. Yeah. So. Um, it, it, it seemed like it was going to be a really great fight, too. Like, the fight was great up to that point. It's unfortunate. What do you do? Do you just make him fight again? Why not? Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Yeah. Uh, and, and quickly, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, you hate that guys would have to cut weight again. They are flyweights. So, you know, they are cutting some weight there. But, yeah, I, th- I think you run it back in, in a few weeks or a month or whatever that may be. What I would like to see in a situation like that is, you know, if I'm putting myself in Tonyoni's shoes, I would like to say hey put me in that position like show me the difference of what that guy is feeling when it's actually in when it's not in so you know what that feels even if you're not going to go and train regularly just to have an idea of okay that's the difference between hands clasped hands not clasped like just to get a better sense of what that individual is feeling in that position where it's like oh that hurts but you're right i can breathe yeah but the, the, even with the problem with that is if you put me in a guillotine right now i'm not going to know one guillotine is not going to change it they they do need to be educated higher than the fan base you are the person that's protecting fighters you need to know what actually is protecting fighters because like watching that arm bar somebody could have stopped that and just been like well i mean come on now her arm's bent but it's like no she's making a decision not to have her arm uh, or like trying to get it from breaking. So uh, yeah. it, it's unfortunate, but it, I mean, it happened. Good thing it's a no contest, but you're right. I mean, unless UFC does something behind the scenes, they don't, you know, one of those fighters doesn't get 
get that extra bit of money unless the yeah. UFC goes, oh, that's out of your hands, not your fault. We'll give you guys, which yeah, who knows if they do. And Dom made a good point. Like what there needs to be a penalty, but what could it possibly be? Right. Like, do you say, OK, you only get half your pay for this event, Chris Tonyoni? Like, what what do you do to penalize? Do you not allow him to ref for six months? Like what well, or is mandatory the... training, right? Mandatory training. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you, you might have to miss an event because you have to do this mandatory training. And who's going to complain at mandatory training for referees? You know, and that and that goes for even the great the, the, you know, the Goddards. If he fucks up, you have to do mandatory mm-hmm. training. Right. That is your yeah. that is your punishment. And it, it's a punishment that helps out everybody right it's a punishment that yeah. helps you out and it helps the fans out it helps the fighters out so i don't know what you do but i mean that's not as egregious to me as the 10-8 but they both need some type of uh consequence yeah, yeah. and speaking of consequence there was almost some consequence for my man charlie campbell after he got that awesome knockout and then hit dc with the, it doesn't matter what you think <laughs> i was laughing by myself uh watching that i thought it was hilarious he also had and like an official standing away so you couldn't really see it but also had like a a pretty pretty graphic pelvic thrust a celebration <laughs> i mean the guy the guy definitely has some personality yeah. and and i do just want to talk about his fight real quick from the standpoint of he showed the improvement because on the contender series, he had hurt his opponent, rushed in and got knocked out. Yep. And this time hurt his opponent a couple of times and was patient. Mm. And those are the kinds of things that you love to see. Uh, he's somebody that I'll, I'll be excited to watch his his next fight, taking advantage of a short notice opportunity to step in there and, and get this fight. So cool to see there. Uh, and then cool to see was just the overall presentation. Mm. of Noche UFC, I thought was really cool. You know, they were talking about making an annual thing, and I understand that. I don't know if it has the same feel yeah. if it's if it's an annual thing, but I love the idea of like a special belt and that they were doing, uh, you know, highlighting different people. I thought it was cool that they did a promotion involving Cain Velasquez. You know, I think that there are certain professional sports leagues that would, regardless of what you think about what Cain Velasquez did and and what he's on trial for uh, there's certain leagues that would have shied away from supporting him and, yep. and doing something showcasing him and and so good on the ufc for doing that because ultimately and like let's also take into account what he did right it's not like he's murdering people or is out there doing really awful things depending on on uh what your opinion is you know and as a father he just did whatever he, i think parents said they would do like he actually went out there and did it yeah it's, it, except with the cat i agree with 100 percent things when i heard about what he did i was like i can't blame him it's just he put so many other people in danger while exactly. he was trying to get to the guy so like that part exactly. right there but i think the ufc can support him because who's gonna say that his situation and and look it up if you guys want to yeah. his situation that what he did was out of like just him being a piece of shit you know it's like no he did it out of the ultimate protect so yeah yeah. and but i I do want to make a comment the only reason i think ufc noche works every year is because mexican fight fans are about it they are fucking about Mm -hmm. it and they're always going to be the boxing the boxing side but if you can bring Mm -hmm. another fight sport and get people and the ufc really hypes it up i mean like even dom was like i'm third generation but like i i have that heritage i have that blood and people support him the UFC can pull this off just because the Mexican fight fans are the truth. They just are. Yeah. And especially they're they're opening up the PI yep. down in Mexico City. So the talent's going to continue to be there. Arguably the biggest Mexican star in Yair Rodriguez didn't even fight on this card. I, I, right? was just, so, I was just about to say they have 
other or Brandon Me- Moreno. Yeah, and and to be <laughs> honest, like usually I thought this card was going to have a Mexican fighter in every fight, and they didn't, and mm-hmm. they can. Like they can do that. So I think Noche can happen but as a fight night. I think Noche can happen every year. Yeah, and and I would actually like to see now them do this with some other things, right? Like that, hey, the rare instance you go to France, like, yes, you're putting French fighters on the car, but like, let's celebrate French fight culture. Sure. You know, when you go to, when you go to England, like, let's celebrate British fight culture. And, and they did it to an extent when the first event back in England after the pandemic, mm. when they like, everyone was highlighting Bisping and, you know, it was the, I think it was Aspinall Volkov yeah. was, was the main event. You had Patty and like, it, it was a, a huge event, but I would love to see them do more of this where they're highlighting kind of the unique cultures uh, around the world. Like, could you imagine if they went back to Japan and did, you know, not in a ring, but like something honoring the history of pride and the history of fight culture in Japan, you know, the Anokis of the world and like just doing that. I think they have the unique ability that a lot of professional sports leagues don't have to, to be able to highlight these different cultures. And it's only going to build your brand. I agree. Absolutely loved that side of things. And then going from that, where we have had multiple weeks in a row of just amazing cards, amazing, crowds we are headed back to the apex uh for the fight night coming up this week headlined by rafael faziv and matush gamrot it's you know i i said it last week right like i i don't like people shitting on cards before they happen because ultimately we don't know that being said and i'm not going to shit on the card but in my research i it was a little difficult finding things to get excited about but ultimately, they might be the most amazing fights in the world. So I'm excited to see the card. I The thing that's exciting me the most about it, other than that main event, is where where are the big performances going to come from? Like, what are going to be the things on fight night that are intriguing? Uh, a couple of the fighters that that are intriguing to me. You know, Tamiris Vidal, she's taking on Montserrat Rendon. And I initially was trying to look up Montserrat Rendon because 5-0, and oh, uh, you know, new addition to the women's bantamweight division, and ultimately they're looking for stars. And are you know that we don't know if that division is going to continue yep. realistically. Uh, and so when I was looking at that, and then I saw Tamiris Vidal, seven and one, she's twenty five years old, and in her last two fights has a heel hook and then a flying knee to the liver in her UFC debut against Ramona Pascal. I was like, okay, like we're getting some finishes here, a little bit, a little bit of Kenny Florian. Uh, so, like, <laughs> you know, wanted wanted to highlight her a little bit. And the thing that was intriguing to me about her was just the the improvement that I saw from watching two fights ago, where she had the heel hook to the the fight against Pasquale, right? Where she's a as a young fighter, seeing those improvements. So I want to see if there's that next step because ultimately women's bantamweight is wide open and all it's going to take is one or two performances to, to get yourself into that title talk. Uh, So I'm I'm interested to see if she takes that next step and then we can continue to expect her to improve like that. Or if it's, you know, just, this is the finished product. And then the other one, Jacob Malkoon at middleweight taking on Cody Brundage and this is his third scheduled opponent for this fight so that's that's tough uh, but 7 and 2 so not a ton of experience but is a an elite level 
grappler, 2019 ADCC Asia champ. And then he's also 3-0 as a professional boxer. So has the skill set. What we've seen in the UFC so far has been a nice jab and some some really good grappling. And when you look at his losses to Brendan Allen, who is no joke, we're seeing top 10 middleweight. And it was a, a close unanimous. It was a unanimous decision, but a close fight. You know, it, it's one where argued 29-28, but could have been on all three judges cards, but could have been 29-28. On the flip side, sure, right. So, so very good. And then he just got caught by Phil Hawes in eighteen seconds. It happens, right? Like mm-hmm. the, you can't, you don't learn a lot from that, other than he can be knocked out. But then in his last fight against Nick Maximo, he got caught early, caught and dropped, and ended up being able to to come back. Now, granted, Maximo got hurt his knee in the first round, like visibly wincing from it the rest of the fight. But he he put it on him for the rest of the fight. Good hands, good grappling, you know. And and when you look at his He's four fights in the UFC or five fights in the UFC, and we'll take the 18-second knockout loss out of it. Eight takedowns, six takedowns, seven takedowns, nine takedowns. Like, hey, guess what, Cody Brundage? This fight's going to the ground. And it's that exhausting grappling style, right? When you're getting taken down that much, it's almost that Khabib-esque grappling, not from the control standpoint, but... You know, I, I don't really care about holding you down because I know if you stand back up and you use your energy to do that, I'm just going to put you back down and... I'm, I'm going to put you in those deep waters and we're, we'll see if you can swim. Yeah. And and let me ask you about Jacob. Is he, would you consider him chinny? I don't. No. Okay. So the only reason yeah. I ask is because against Maximov, like getting, mm-hmm. getting caught, is it just one of those things where like, we're just fighting middleweights, you know, it's like you can't help, but sometimes these dudes just hit hard uh, with the 18 second loss, getting caught because if that's the case, you know, the ultimate, the ultimate, it seems like the ultimate base is wrestling. It's like, who gives a shit? But there's a difference. Like, if you can get wobbled and take someone down, go back to your wrestling base. Or if you get, you know, wobbled and you're just, you know, like, stanky leg. Yeah. I I don't think he's chinny because, like, ultimately, you can't control how your body responds to getting hit flush on the chin. Sure. And so, like, even, and this is a conversation you and I had over a decade ago in the Cain Velasquez Czech Congo fight, Mm. where, like, Velasquez got dropped multiple times. Yeah. Now, he was never really in danger of getting knocked unconscious, but when he got hit, his knees went out. Sure. Like That was just what happened, and he immediately started grappling and won the fight. Mm-hmm. And I think Malkoon has a little bit of that in him where, yeah, he's going to get hit, his knees will drop out, but he's immediately going into, like all great wrestlers do, yep. immediately going into wrestling mode and trying to get the fight to the ground. So I, I don't necessarily think... It's like, a, oh, this guy's going to get jabbed and it's going to be a problem. I, I just think he gets caught clean sometimes and his, you know, his, his knees can't hold yeah, up. It's like it's your just, body just says, fuck this, dude. <laughs> yeah, straight Saint throw ragdoll physics. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, there are some very intriguing matchups on this card. And and that, you know, my old Pooh Bear, Brian Battle, taking on AJ Fletcher at welterweight is a very intriguing matchup. Last time we saw Brian Battle, I was very fortunate to see it in person nice. uh, where he had that 14-second knockout in Charlotte, missed weight, and st- I think he still ended up getting the bonus because it was just, it brought the arena to their feet. It was fucking awesome. But he's one of the rare fighters. He has two sub-minute knockouts in the UFC, a 44-second uh, head kick knockout Takashi Sato and so scary right like here's a guy that you you need to be very aware of very early on has big big time power and when you look at his only loss in the UFC is to Renat Fakhreddinov and that was he got grappled 
for three rounds, yeah. right? And and we know what what Renata is like. He's he's a great fighter. He just dominated Kevin Lee. So Battle is somebody who's very exciting. But on the other other side, you know, you have somebody who couldn't look any more different than Brian Battle. Brian Battle's like tall and long, and AJ Fletcher's like small, muscled up, but. Fletcher has a similar level of explosion, right? Like he comes out there and throws some crazy shit and hurts people early on. And all of his fights, he's won the first round, looked great in the first round, but he's gassed out late. Mm. Now, between the two of these men, they have 19 wins and only three of those are by decision. So, so this one's you know, going the distance. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Damn, yeah. Going to be a very boring uh, 15 round or 15 minute fight. I bet the under. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Unless you know, the under is like 15 seconds of the first round. Like, I'll do it yeah. Half round. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this should be a very exciting fight for as uh, as long as it lasts. Ultimately, I think if if Fletcher loses, he might be on the chopping block. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think this is a going to be an exciting fight. Little disappointed uh, that battle is fighting in the apex just from the standpoint of I felt the energy in the crowd last time and I know what that was like. And so and granted, it was a hometown thing for him. But you could see him feeding off the energy. So yeah, you it make it makes a difference. I mean, imagine an NFL game being played without a crowd. It just it would be different. I mean, they would still have you know someone would win, but uh, yeah, yeah, it was Apex, the twenty twenty season, by the way. They, they didn't have crowds. Well, yeah, really ex- exactly. So <laughs> it was it, really it's, weird. It's different, right? And actually, that twenty twenty season is what kind of got me out of football. I was like, I don't really enjoy the game. I think I enjoy the environment. Yeah, that's that that Brian Battle Fletcher. It's like. You're right. It's gonna. It's probably. It's probably gonna end. <laughs> it's probably yeah, not fireworks. Gonna, yeah, it's probably not gonna be fireworks. It's gonna be fun. Uh, and then another one that's going to be fireworks. We have Charles Air Jordan, which I love that nickname. It's, so it's not like an all-time great, but just the idea that like, hey, my name kind of sounds like Jordan. We'll go with Air. And well, first <laughs> right? of all, you like every nickname ever. Yes, you know. But this yeah, one's a big good fan. One. This one, yeah. <laughs> you're a big fan of nicknames. I fuck real yeah, nice, yeah, yeah. The uh, Cormier made a comment last night about how good the Brazilian nicknames are. And, I know. And they are. They are. Uh, um, but he's taking on uh, Brazilian, Ricardo Hamos, and it's just going to be fun. Featherweight bout, you know, to give a little background, because I know both these guys aren't the most popular of, of fighters. Uh, Jordan's 14, 6, and 1, and he has 12 finishes, yeah. uh, 8 by knockout, 4 by submission. And if you want to see what he can do as far as just an entertaining fighter, go watch him versus Shane Burgos. That was a a hell of a fight, and I know his last fight wasn't the most exciting. Uh, that was the Krong Gracie fight that was on a main card that should not have been. It was a pay-per-view. The most exciting. Yeah, not was, a good it fight. It was bad. It was bad. Yeah, and Jordan addressed it in the cage afterwards, said, listen, I lost two in a row. Like, I needed to get a win, and, like, I had to play it safe here. I know what what Gracie is on the ground. But ultimately, like, you have to have – if you're an exciting fighter, you do have to have a willing dance partner. Yep. Like, that's just the the nature of it. And he has one because uh, Hamos, uh, 16 and 4, has 11 finishes. There have been five spinning back elbow knockouts in the UFC, and my man Hamos has two of them. That's all he does is practice both... his elbows, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, in in the uh, the Amon Zahabi fight, he landed it twice, <laughs> lands it, boom, and then lands it again to knock him out. But that one was in 2017, so Hamos has been around for a while, seven and three in the UFC. So, you know, legitimate competition, Good record against that. His last one against Danny Chavez was terrifying. I mean, both of them were terrifying. They're spinning elbow knockouts. But the one against Chavez was particularly scary. 
go watch it if you get a chance. But Hamas has not fought since June of last year. So out of the cage for a little while. But ultimately, I see like spinning shit, wild things happening in this fight. And I, it's going to be fun. Yeah, imagine a year off and just training spinning shit. Man, who knows what's <laughs> yeah, going to happen, dude? <laughs> he's corked up, man. He's, he's ready, ready to roll. Uh, and then... Co-main is an awesome fight, uh, a fight of consequence at featherweight. We have thug nasty Bryce Mitchell at number 10, taking on number 12, Dan Ige. Uh, now, Mitchell's last fight was not the most, uh, not the best performance from him. Uh, it was in December against Ilya Teporia. And no no shade uh, to thug nasty, right? Like Teporia showing he's potentially a future champ. Yep. And, and so, uh, and there was times it ended kind of disheartening for Mitchell. He got like beat up, dropped and and submitted. Uh, but there was times where, where Mitchell looked good in that fight. And ultimately it was Mitchell's first loss since he lost on uh, the ultimate fighter to Brad Katona, who ended up winning the ultimate fighter again. Yep. But I am interested to see how, how does Bryce Mitchell rebound? Like, how do you come back from that? Apparently he had the flu or something. He was sick during that fight, you know, didn't want to make an excuse, but like months after the fact talked about it. I don't know if it plays out any different because Ilya Teporia is the truth. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's not kid about that. But I do want to see how he how he rebounds because ultimately Ige has rebounded. He was on two or he had lost a couple uh, in a row and and now is on a two fight win streak. But his when he's fought top flight competition, it's been a problem for him. Yep. and and he's fighting top flight competition. So very very interested. Yeah, this fight's interesting because sometimes when you even though Taporia is not the champion or, you know, he's not top of the division yet. Sometimes when you come across this type of people, it just ups your game. And if, you know, maybe Bryce Mitchell was compromised and maybe that fight does is different if he if he is healthier because I had the flu or I had a cold and I went to the flu and I felt awful. And I was just sitting at home working from home. I can't imagine having to like even even on the ass end of a flu. But what's interesting about this fight is you know, Mitchell is, you know, he's he got his twister in there, but he's a decision machine. And Dan Ige mm -hmm. doesn't mind playing that game of, like, I'll go up there and piece you up against Nate Landwehr. I mean, like, because mm -hmm. of your, you know, past history with Leighton, you know, playing on the same football team with him, I've really followed his career. And Nate Landwehr is no joke. He's no joke. I mean, he is game as ever. So Dan Ige versus Bryce Mitchell, this is, like, really good fight, man. Yeah. This is, a like, for a card that, feels like a stinker just to be nice about it um <laughs> it's like but this is a this and the next fight are really good matchups yeah and this almost takes it back to the like old grappler versus striker yep. right like Ige is a great boxer has good power and bryce mitchell like we know the game plan right now granted he dropped eds and barbosa in their fight but ultimately that's because of the threat yep. of the grappling threat and you know mitchell talks about like we cook them we cook them till they fall off the bone and and that's i'm interested to see how Ige responds to that because when he fought a similar type fighter and mosar of loyev like if loyev stayed on the feet round one and kind of like touched Ige a few times and started to get him tired and then yep. took him down and was able to hold him down. And, you know, has Ige learned from that or, or has he made, I shouldn't say learned because obviously he's going to learn, but from a, does he have the skills now to, to be able to prevent that or can Mitchell impose his will? And, and I'm, Big Thug Nasty fan from a from a fighting standpoint. Well, and also I don't think Thug Nasty's knocking down the new Edson Barbosa since he's fighting at apparently <laughs> light heavyweight or something. Yeah. He's so jacked. Dude, he's, he's so huge. He's so man. jacked. It's insane. Yeah. 
I I would not be surprised if after posting that uh, picture, Usada comes knocking on the door like, hey, you know, this is random. <laughs> yeah, uh, this but, is super uh, random, my guy. But yeah, we are going to need you to pee into a cup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, if, if you guys just look at the picture of Edson Barbosa, now it is wild. Dude is yoked. 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 I mean, Yoel uh, Romero, man, it's insane. Yeah, yeah. And then our main event in this, um, I am very, very excited yeah. about this. And from one striker versus grappler to another striker versus grappler, because uh, Rafael Fazeev at number six at lightweight versus Matush Gamrot number seven at lightweight. Fazeev is as advanced and technical of a striker as we have in the UFC. Mm-hmm. I mean, just one of the 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 best. And then Matush Gamrot is he's almost like prime Ben Askren, where. He's not inflicting a ton of damage, but he is imposing his will on yep. people. He's taking them down and not letting them do anything. And you have Fazeev at 12 and 2 versus Gamrat, who's 22 and 2. Like this man has stepped into a cage 24 times Stupid. with other trained killers and has only lost twice yeah. and both decisions. Yeah. Right, like Gam- Gamrod is a a scary man, I think, because of the style, doesn't necessarily get the credit that he deserves, but he lost to Benil Dariush okay. and Guram Kuta Taladze. Yeah. And even in the Dariush fight, he took him down what four or five times. Mm-hmm. Like, like he took Dariush down, right? And we know what Dariush is, so that's the level that that Gamrod is. Now you are playing with fire though with that style, right? Because ultimately. If you take somebody down and don't do a lot of damage, you hold them down for four minutes. But then the minute that's on the feet, you get busted up. Well, you know, you, it depends you what, a, the, what the a, judge wants. I say you get a 10 8 at that point, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah you'll, you'll 10 8, maybe 10 7 because it's four minutes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, but also, Fazeev doesn't get taken down. My man's got 90% takedown defense. Yeah, this one, like, this one, this one's a banger because Fazeev seems to, I mean, they both have fought, you know, some people that are at the top of the division. It just feels like Fazeev, man, I don't know. There's something special about him. I mean, there's something special about Gamrod as well. Mm-hmm. And there's something special about Fazeev, and it might just be the like the excitement of like the style or whatever. But when you when he gets in the cage, you're like, there's some violence that is gonna occur right now. And whew, I mean, to not look exhausted against Dos Anjos and you don't know, be able to stop him in the fifth round. I mean, uh, he lost to Justin Gaethje. Okay. I mean, because yeah. Rewatch that fight because ultimately uh, the damage is, I think, what lost him the fight. Yeah, there's a very good argument he he won rounds one and two, and and very I'll, good argument. And I won't argue it, but you're also fighting another guy that we, as Justin Gaethje, is synonymous with violence. So it's yeah. like you know, okay, you just you know, it's like these two people that's like who's going to be more violent on the night, mm-hmm. and Gaethje brings out damage. But man, what a what a main event to. To like, if if this one is a dud, I'm just gonna be bombed, man. It's great challenges too for both of them. Like that's what's very intriguing about this matchup to me, because ultimately for for uh, Fazeev, you're gonna have to be able to defend the takedown against. You know, you're gonna have to be able to pass that Gamrot grappling test yep. because when you look at the top of the division with Sarukian, with Islam, right? Like you're going to have to be able to do that. So it's almost a great test in the standpoint of you have to be able to do that, but the consequences aren't huge other than a a loss, right? Because you're not Gamrot to this point has not shown like savage ground and pound where you're going to be, you know, you're not going to be the same person after this fight. So there's the stakes other than the, the win loss are, are relatively low for Fazeev. Now for 
Gamrot, you you run the risk of getting knocked the fuck out. Yep. But you also have to pass that test. You he did get hurt by Jalen Turner. Now, obviously, very different test. Jalen Turner is super tall, super yeah. long reach, and Fazeev is the opposite. But if you're Gamrot, like you have to prove as you work your way up that that you can pass those tests because Dubronx is sitting up there. You know, Gaethje's sitting up there. Like, ultimately, they might schedule schedule you against Chandler. So, like, you have there's those tests there, and so we're going to learn a lot about, about both both of these guys. Five round fight. Let's say two. It's, it's another five round fight on both their on the both their resumes now, which they need. Right, you're going to need those. Yeah, this is this is a banger. This is actually a really yeah. good like, and we get this free. So yeah, free, yeah. <laughs> free. Um, I'm never really excited about Apex fights. It's just the the crowd makes a difference. It just does. Yeah. But this this card, it's not so bad. You know, it's not so bad. Yeah, yeah. For me, the matchups are more intriguing than the prospects. Yeah, and that's generally not how it goes with Apex cards. I feel like the Apex cards are more about like, oh, here's this exciting, you know, twelve and one person making their UFC debut and. You know, we might have a star after this, uh, and I, I feel like there's not a lot of that here. But we do have these fun matchups. Well, maybe after 50 weeks in a row of fights, maybe the UFC is just like, all right, this is what we got right now, and then we'll take a break. Yeah. We finally get a yeah. break, you know, after this. Um, yeah. You guys don't get a break. One week we're off, and then yeah, right we're, back. we're still gonna have a podcast out for you, but oh, yeah. um, we don't have to worry about you know uh, the matchups for a week. But I mean, if this is what ends off, what 17 week run, 17 weeks, it's 17 yeah. week in a row run. I mean, that's that's four months over four months. I mean, okay, this is still a dope card. It's just you kind of get spoiled by just having so many event after event after yeah. event. And then it's like, okay, well, this card probably is going to be a banger. It just feels different. Yeah. yeah if we're going to cap it with Bryce Mitchell, Dan Ige, and Fazeev Gamma. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm down with that. Yeah, tight, man. <laughs> yeah, nice, yeah. tight. <laughs> um, next thing I know, you're going to be saying clean. Um, no. So I no. won't. Was was that a regional Tennessee thing? You. Oh man, I remember moving to Tennessee and I was like, "Man, that's clean." And I was like, "I don't know what you're they used talking to say about. it in North Carolina as well." And I <laughs> didn't know either, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Fight announcements: some big ones this week that uh, kind of under the radar type, but very very fun. UFC Sao Paulo, November fourth. That's the card that's headlined by a fight that I am anticipating. I know you are as well. That Blades versus Jailton fight. Yes. But the Bonfim brothers are both fighting on this card. Ishmael Bonfim coming back from that loss. You know, how does he rebound? Taking on Vince from hell, Pichel, another cool nickname, uh, at Featherweight. And then one that I am very excited about, his brother Gabriel, who had that amazing performance in his last fight, taking on Nicholas Dalby, uh, who I think is like 22-4, and some Mm. crazy good record, at Welterweight. So that is, uh, we said it last time, Bonfim is one that will watch fight anything, (laughs) anywhere, anytime. Um, So uh, really, really excited for that. And then uh, we we briefly talked about it earlier, but UFC 295, the following week, headlined by Jones versus Miocic, two fighters that I'll watch them fight anybody, anywhere, anytime. We have Pat Sabatini taking on Diego Lopez. Banger. Ooh, that's going to be fireworks. If that is, and I don't think it's going to be on the main card, if that's not a featured prelim, I don't know what a featured prelim is because that one just screams fun, exciting fight. It's got to be the featured prelim, bro. There's no way 
Because if you want people to get excited about buying the pay-per-view and they're watching the free card, this, I mean, this can't be a dud. This can't be a dud. It, this has to be the fight that goes, oh, I want to continue watching fights tonight. Has to be. I saw the announcement on Twitter, like, at night. I think it was probably, like, 9 or 10 at night. And I was like, oh, it took everything in me to not, like, call you up. and be like, dude, did you see Sabatini Lopez? <laughs> and I would have not been mad at all. Because here's the reality. I don't really need a reason to buy the jones Miaches fight. I don't need an extra reason. I already have Jones yeah. versus Miaches. That To fucking be able to, like, eat my little snacks and watch Pat Sabatini <laughs> versus Diego Lopez before ultimately buying that pay-per-view. Dude, get out of here, man. And no, every time every time my daughter watches fights, someone gets injured. She will not be watching this card. I promise yeah. you, she will be. I won't even let her watch TV. She'll be in a different room because this <laughs> no card has to like breaks. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, because she, I want to say, was watching. I think I think that was the Weidman Hall. Um, yeah, and then there was one other one like a week later where it's yeah. like, hey, hey, stop watching, stop watching these. There's people's careers are depending. She on was this. sitting on the couch with me. I'm looking at her like, you're bad luck. I love you to death, <laughs> but man, like we have to watch something else because no. <laughs> Like, like, hey, if daddy gets in a fight, turn away. Oh, 100%. You know, or just look at the other guy. You know what I'm saying? Just, yeah. If I get in a fight, just stare at the other guy because maybe something magical will happen instead of you watching your dad cry and get beat up. So, you know, I'm tough. Nice. Yeah. And, and, and on that note, anything else on your end? No, sir. All right. As always, appreciate y'all for listening. Love and respect. Later.